fellow fiends. Welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Kim. And today we are giving you a countdown to extinction with David Slade's 30 Days of Night and Danny Boyle's 28 Days Later. Woo. Which will bring us down to one winner that we will decide in our head-to-head death match. It's kind of an interesting episode. We've been wanting to do this one for a really long time. I had been pitching it for a really long time. Because I was like, there's numbers in the title, John. It's great matching. And you were like, those movies don't have anything to do with each other. And I was like, I think they do. <laughs> but now that we're in the new year and everybody has essentially done a countdown, I think, I think yeah. this works. Yeah. And we're in the era of lists. Everybody's making lists. Ugh. And lists have numbers in them. And so do these horror films. Therefore, timely and relevant. I know. I, I always roll my eyes. But we have our own top ten lists of 2017 our previous episode we also have a companion article on the website yeah that's last week's episode if you didn't check it out it's our top 10 is that what we called it just best of 2017 yep whatever we had picks there it was a list and super timely and relevant as i said one thing i did want to mention which i thought was kind of cool this will be the first time that we have covered zombies on the podcast i believe And I will counter that by saying, I don't know that they're actually zombies. They are totally zombies. uh, We haven't done zombies, though, right? Like, this is a correct statement. We haven't done zombies. I mean, unless you can count a deadite as a zombie, then we did previously with the Evil Dead episode. Yeah, here's... here's They're kind of zombies, but aren't they kind of possessed? Okay, so here's my point with 28 Days Later. Aren't they kind of just infected with rage? They don't die and come back like a zombie, an undead monster would. Uh, That's a good point, right? I mean, if we want to get into 28 Days Later, they also survive 28 Days Without Food, which a normal human would not, which means that they are probably a zombie. I don't know that the Oh, what was that? What was that big silence that I'm not going to allow you to edit out? Yeah, that's a zombie. I don't know that those are necessarily the rules. I think if you boil it down, you go, vampires, drink blood, avoid sunlight. Zombies, die, come back, eat brains. I don't agree. It's a thin line. I'm going to say, so in terms of subgenres, if this was organized in a horror movie rental facility, Mm -hmm. like a blockbuster per se, Mm -hmm. or a... Uh, offline Netflix, <laughs> you would put this in the zombie aisle. Fine. You might also put it in the British aisle if there is a British aisle, but it would be like zombie British. I mean, I know Danny Boyle did his best to try and make sure nobody would call it a zombie movie when it came out. And that's probably just because he didn't want to get pigeonholed into like, oh, it's garbage. Oh, okay. Um, but Sure, I'll give it to you. This, Every... this is our first zombie movie on the podcast. Thank you. Any article on this movie, though, starts with, like, widely known for reinvigorating the zombie genre, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's an argument I can't win. Uh, Tis true. I will concede this is a zombie movie. 
and it's also our first episode of 2018, so welcome to another year of Nightmare on Film Street. I, it's not really our anniversary or anything, I think we started in like the fall, so... Yeah, let's just call it season two and a half. Yeah, we don't do seasons. No, we don't. We just don't stop recording. Yeah. Uh, before we get into it, though, Kim, what's keeping you creepy this week? I have something very exciting to announce. You may already know about it if you're on the website, but we have started a Horror Awards for 2017. You can vote on it. It's called The Freddies. It's the first annual. We are lining it up to coincide with the non-horror-friendly Oscar ceremony. Oddly enough, this is probably the first year where horror is... The first year in a long time where horror is actually going to have a pretty strong foothold. Fingers crossed. We don't have any. I guess that's true. Any <laughs> official nominations yet? But we are opening it to the entire horror public. That means you. You get to nominate. You get to vote, and you get to recognize your favorite horror films, actors, writers, directors, creators of 2017. So who cares what the Academy thinks about a year in film? We want to hear what you thought of horror specifically. So nominations are open right now for the first annual Freddy's, and we want to hear your picks for all of the categories. Go nominate over at nofspodcast.com slash freddies. That's F-R-E-D-D-Y-S. We'll be selecting the top picks from your nominations to announce the official nominees. And there will be a voting round through the end of January where you can vote on the the most nominated selections, and then we'll announce the winners live on a Nightmare on Film Street episode coinciding with the 2018 Oscars. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, so it's going to be really cool. That's the first annual Freddy's. Make sure you go nominate over at nofspodcast.com slash F-R-E-D-D-Y-S. But enough about 2017. What is keeping you creepy, John? I want to give a big shout out to Aaron and Brady, two of our most recent Patreon supporters. Guys, the end of the world is coming. Let's just admit it. It's zombies. I'm telling you, it's actually zombies. Or possibly vampires. Oh yeah, we never know. Yeah, you never really know. <laughs> I think we got to be smart about this. We got to be prepared. We're going to handle this like 10 Cloverfield Lane style. We're going to... Kidnapping girls and... Uh, okay, I mean... Putting them in your bunker? They're coming willingly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not bringing them down underground Girls, so I can keep them the there forever. the end is nigh. It's totally legit, really nigh. Well, I'm going to need you to convince them. Like, don't worry, it's safe. I'm not playing not... a part in your okay, end of the world scenario. So it's just the three of us in the bunker. Don't worry. I've got plenty of Doritos and horror movies, <laughs> a few board games. We're going to pass this by no problem. Just playing, you know, Boggle. Boggle? Who's got Boggle? I want Boggle. Okay, we're going to play Boggle, Pictionary. You're not allowed in the bunker, though. What? <laughs> we're going to fill our days with zombie movies aplenty. Thank That's you. not a really good idea, though, if there was actually a zombie apocalypse film and you had, you know, the resources of a VCR player and a television. You're like, you know what we should do? Let's watch zombie films. Yeah, like, I think I'd get enough of that in my everyday that, life. That might up the paranoia. Yeah. Can our zombies do that? Oh, God. <laughs> well, maybe we'll learn. We're, we're watching this for, for reference. Oh, like you're reading, uh, what's that book? Z... The World War Z. Thank you. Yeah, like, the apocalypse. Yeah, we're treating it as if it is a study guide. There's also the zombie survival guide, or how to survive a zombie apocalypse. Yeah, also by Max Brooks. Yeah. I think everybody what, everybody listening to this podcast probably one year got both of those books for Christmas, and we were all stoked. It was like <laughs> Harry Potter all over again for the horror community. Everybody was reading it. Like, did you know that it's better to use a melee weapon because it won't jam? 
It doesn't make any noise either. You don't want to attract a fucking horde coming your way. Very smart. Also, you can't hide on an island because zombies can walk underwater. Oh, They'll God. get there eventually. My favorite part about that entire book, though, was the fact that we he addressed astronauts that were just left in space. Oh, God, that's just so lonely and, and just depressing and awful. That's a horror movie on its own. That should be the next Cloverfield movie. I think it is. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I know it has something to do with the God particle, unless that's an, another movie space. now. I'm pretty sure it's in space. I think it's that they're in space. Somebody flips on the Large Hadron Collider, and instead of everything just like, oh, look, hey, Higgs boson, it just like sucks the world into oblivion. <laughs> and they're just like, hey, uh, how are we going to figure this one out? <laughs> Thank you again for supporting the show. It would be a nightmare without you. You and your slogan. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if I approved this. Not at all. You said it once, and I was like, "Oh, that was cute." And then I, now you keep <laughs> Every doing fucking it. time. <laughs> like, ooh. The fans um. appreciate it. No, I'm sure. <laughs> if you want to support the show, head to Patreon.com/slash Nightmare on Film Street, and you can check out all the cool rewards you can get for pledging us and helping us keep the show creepy and not broke. <laughs> yeah. Oh, not broke's important. <laughs> creepy also important. Also important. Hard to juggle the two. I think it would only be appropriate if we handle this chronologically. If we handle this like a proper countdown. And start with 30 Days of Night. I thought you were going to say chronologically. I'm like, this one came second. Yeah, that's my mistake. But I mean, you meant list... No, okay, whatever. <laughs> I get it. 31st before 28th. I get it. I got it. Board the windows. Try to hide. They're common. They? Who are they? So 30 Days of Night is currently sitting at a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb, a 51% on Rotten Tomatoes, and 2.5 out of 4 Eberts. Honestly, I I maybe don't find that too surprising. Yeah, it it seems okay. (laughs) Yeah, when the movie came out, I remember everybody, like, absolutely loving it. I think, well, at least our age group, I think, really enjoyed it. Because this came out... 2007. Mm-hmm. So, came out 2007? Yeah, last year high school. Oh, it felt feels older than that. <laughs> Maybe it's just... Maybe you just feel older than that. I do feel older than that. Yeah, yeah. It feels CGI-wise a little older than that. Mm. I really enjoyed this movie. I really enjoyed it when it came out. I can't remember if I saw it in theaters or not. But I remember seeing it upon release. I think maybe I rented it at the Blockbuster facility. (laughs) The film kind of straddles this line of whether it's making stylistic choices or if it's suffering from CGI slash budgetary restrictions. Mm -hmm. It's from that era post signs where everybody was like, what? You can record during the day and we can make it look like night? This is fucking crazy. You can't though. Don't. (laughs) But you're right because it's adapted from a graphic novel you think that those choices they're making are super intentional because Mm -hmm. it gives it some sort of style. Like, I will say that the blacks in this movie are very inky, as if they are on a page. But you're right. My attention is drawn to it because I go, hey, that's not normal. 
Yeah, and I think that just comes down to the CGI use and leaning really heavily on a faux winter. Mm -hmm. That's a really hard thing to achieve. I mean, you're setting your goals very high when you're filming a movie that's one entirely in natural darkness Mm -hmm. outdoors the weather is insane your actors are supposed to be freezing cold so you're supposed to be seeing their breath all the time there's blizzards there's whiteouts and the vampires have essentially taken out the power so where is your light source coming from exactly so you need to do something stylistically or you're going to end up with a movie that just looks like fake snow all the time. And this film does kind of have moments where it really doesn't hold up graphics-wise. Maybe had they have gone a little bit more stylistic, they could have done it. I don't know what I would have done, though. Like, I don't necessarily think this film would have been as watchable if they had gone the Sin City route and completely removed mid-tones. Because this film is pretty close to having no mid-tones. You have, um, your mid-tone is your gray color or your, um skin tone color in a film and you have white and black and Mm. this film does lean really heavily like to emphasize the snow and the blood and the blackness yeah you kind of dilute your mid-tones by upping the contrast of the overall film which doesn't necessarily work as good inside like whenever they're in the police station or if they're in the grocery store it works really good when you're in nighttime and snow you Mm -hmm. can do high contrast But in a movie, if you went Sin City route and had them walking around a grocery store, I don't think that would work very well. It's funny you should say that, because I think one of my favorite shots is inside that police station, where the vampires are just starting to ascend on the town, and we cut back to Ben Forrester in his jail cell. Like, I just think it's so perfectly framed, and it looks so fucking good. But that is a really stylized shot, because there's a a lamp overhead just highlighting him. You only have the jail cell bars in the middle ground. Your foreground is empty, Mm -hmm. and your background is your character. You don't have any cluttered desks. You don't have coffee cups. You don't have a guy playing Risk. You don't have stuff all over the walls. You can't really have that busy of a scene with a film that lends well to a comic book page. It needs to be like, this is your focal point, and then everything else is simple. Yeah. In Sin City, you don't have like a cluttered room. Yeah, and in fact... It does kind of remind me of one of the shots in Sin City where Bruce Willis is in his jail cell. And it's a choice they make to try and make him feel isolated and alone where it's just blackness and this cell. But you're right. The only reason that shot is so effective is because there's nothing around. There is no clutter. There is no evidence of human life. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's actually what they're trying to get at in that shot, right? One of the things I did want to talk about, though, when you mentioned that it is based on a comic book, this film actually had kind of a really interesting inception. It was intended initially to be a film. Oh, yeah? And the writer, I guess he wrote the screenplay, and he was shopping it around and pitching it, and nobody wanted it. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, fine, I'm going to make a comic book. As soon as he started making the comic book, people started getting interested. This film actually sparked a bidding war for the rights. Mm. And... The film was already in the go before the comic book was actually published. I think the comic book was initially published in 2002. But, uh, yeah. So it wasn't actually supposed to be a comic book first. That's crazy. Yeah. And I know Sam Raimi got on board as a producer, executive producer. Yeah, and I think he was, in the early stages, he was going to direct the film. And then he decided to just stay as a producer, so... That's pretty interesting, because it's like they needed the illustrations to really understand the story that was being told. Mm -hmm. It's so silly, because... It's such an incredible concept. Like, the idea that vampires walk into an area where there is just pure darkness, and they can exist 
for 30 days nonstop. I, I, I'm really surprised that this never had never gotten done before this. Yeah, it's almost strange to when I learned that it wasn't a existing comic book property from the 80s or the 90s. I just assumed something like this would have always existed because it is such an interesting premise to skew what is normally considered a a weakness of vampires in their favor. Right. So cool. I don't know why there isn't a, a playable board game version of this because this concept <laughs> lends so well to a board game. That's a really good point. I would play the shit out of that board game. Yeah, like yeah. one person plays vampires, one person plays humans, and you're playing a countdown to the 30 days of night, and then there's that's like vampire mode. Uh, you only get like one turn, though. Like last day Yeah, like one is a month. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like you get one turn of like the last day of sunset where you just, you're trying Game to barricade as many guys. Yeah, right? Oh, it's perfect. But you can't move fast because... Blizzard. Well, not, yeah, Blizzard. <laughs> but also, like, you're not in a hurry yet. There's no problem. You don't know the monsters are coming. So, I mean, like... some of the dogs are dead and somebody melted the phone. But... <laughs> <laughs> the setup in this movie is great. Like, Josh Hartnett does not see exactly how bad things are going to get. He has an idea that something is going wrong, but he doesn't really jump... Well, I guess he doesn't know what to do, right? Somebody burns all the cell phones and he just kind of chuckles like, at Fuck. it. Well, yeah, he's he kind of wants to burn the world down right now, too, because he's in the middle of a failed marriage. He's separated. He's about to enter 30 days of darkness, which is probably going to be a fucking awful period to go through, and he's doing it alone. It's weird, though, because they do a lot of setup on the main character's relationship faltering, but it doesn't quite feel like that was an immediate thing. I don't feel like we've come in the moment after their marriage has ended. It's just a weird, I don't know. It's, I feel like Josh Hartnett's character didn't exist until we started looking at him. Which you shouldn't feel that way about a character. <laughs> you know what I mean? You shouldn't feel like they poofed into existence because you're watching them. That is such a great way to describe him in this movie. I don't know that he's a great leading man. I feel bad saying that because I think he's a good actor. I agree. Yeah, his, be his best roles seem to be side character roles. He's a boy band of actors. Same mm. as Ben Affleck in that they peaked when they were 21 and there aren't any more roles. There aren't roles for them anymore. I don't know about that, though. Peaked the at 21. <laughs> Met the Matt Damons and the Josh Hartnets and the Ben Afflecks of the world. Matt Damon seems to be doing pretty good for himself. And I mean, yeah, but he's directing and stuff. Is Matt Damon directing? I, um, I know he and Ben Affleck are constantly like, producing. I don't got know. That, they've got the project. I mean, writing or something. I don't know. But yeah. They did win an Oscar for Goodwill Hunting. Thank You're right. you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like I hear that Josh Hartnett's really good in Penny Dreadful. Is that the show? He was pretty good in Lucky Number Slevin. It wasn't really my favorite movie, but he wasn't really. It's weird to say that he's not the main character in that movie, but there are so many other characters in it. I think he is going to come into his own a little older in life. He might be able to do like a George Clooney. Right. But... It's hard to believe him as a bad guy. and He doesn't have a, I don't know, like a threatening bone in his body. Yeah. Come back when you got a little gray in that hair. <laughs> we'll be waiting for you. Yeah, and you're like, you have a 17-year-old daughter, and like, that's all you care about. And then, then women will fall in love with you again. Oh, and then she goes to France and is kidnapped, but you get to go on the phone with the kidnapper in the last exactly, second. Exactly, and save <laughs> like, her from the sex from trade. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. The backstory with Josh Hartnett's character, and it's only kind of occurring to me now, is that during the last 30 days of night, that's where he and his wife had their breakup. That's where things Are you came inventing to a head. this, though? Because I don't think I, I am totally inventing okay, this. Okay, I was like, I didn't I... learn that from the film. <laughs> no, but I think the idea is that people expect her to come back and not have him go through that 30 days of night. Because if you leave town... 
before if you leave town and sort of leave him on his own to deal with it, then you are officially definitely turning your back on him. Mm-hmm. I think last year when this happened, you know, she probably took off afterward. Did the rounds? Stop writing fu- a backstory. <laughs> I mean, there are prequels that went direct to video, and it probably explains this, but also probably not. I don't know. Like the full circle for their characters is that they do kind of resolve things, whether or not he's gone in the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am on the fence of how to talk about this film because I do genuinely enjoy it, but it isn't the best film ever. I agree. <laughs> I, 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 I'm just gonna go and say it's not a good movie, but it's damn cool. <laughs> Yeah, I always underestimate how much I like it, because... It's damn cool. It's damn cool. I The reason we haven't done this episode sooner is because I say, I don't want to talk about that goddamn movie, but as soon as it comes on, I go, fuck, this looks good. Like, I love the close-up shots of Ben Forrester. I love the creepy goddamn boat that rolls into town. I honestly, I, I will say it right now, I've said it to you a thousand times, Ben Forrester in this movie is the best Renfield character ever. Mm-hmm. Better than Tom Waits and Bram Stoker's Dracula. Better than whoever was in Dracula Dead and Loving It. He is so goddamn good in this movie. He's very creepy and very gross. Right? But I don't know. I don't form... I don't know. I don't... I don't know. I don't know yet. That's fine. His scene in the diner isn't great. I, at least I really didn't like it so much this time. But when he is at his lowest, when the vampires come and they pass him by, it is so... Don't you think it feels a little superficial, though, because of how little we know about him and how... We only get, I think, three scenes with him total, and then he dies. And you don't know the circumstances in which they found this guy. You don't know where he's from. Mm. You you can only assume that he was, like, a survivor of the previous escapade of these vampire things. Mm-hmm. But he's grubby, and he's dirty, and he has terrible teeth. Mm-hmm. And so maybe he's an orphan that they picked up when he was a baby, and they've been berating him, and he's... maybe. He's got Stockholm Syndrome for these vampires. I, but yeah. you don't know, and so... That's my biggest issue with this Is this film, is that it, it does feel really compartmentalized and that all that was written was was the movie, which is... It's a comic book, so it shouldn't feel like that. It should feel like it has legacy and backstory and it's part of a saga. Maybe for me, it's that I don't... It's not, well, not that I don't care, but I know what that character would be like in other movies. And in, in every other vampire movie, yeah, it's somebody who at some point was taken under the wing of these vampires to do their daytime bidding, and all he wants in life is to become one of them. Mm-hmm. And that's all I really need to know. That's all I care. Like, it, at the very least, I know his motivations before he says a word. Yeah, but on before the you're throwing around terms like best Renfield character ever and. For me, there would need to be something more than just him having grubby teeth and being really good at looking desperate. Yeah, whatever. For I, for whatever reason, I just love his performance. Well, let's leave it at okay, that. Okay, fine. When when they come back and yeah, he's he's been left over. They've passed him by. He is crushed. And when the vampires come back to kill him, it's just a brilliant scene. He doesn't even say a goddamn word in that. Like he is in awe of them. He is terrified of them. He worships them to a degree you'd say he wants nothing more than to be one of them and they won't give it to him and i just i love it it's no it's nothing original right don't get me wrong i just think he's brilliant in it. and I, I like him as an actor too i think he's he's awesome in a lot of stuff not really a whole lot of horror what else is he in he was he's in a hell... really familiar character yeah he was in hell and high water he was one of the brothers they're robbing the banks it's like the modern okay, western yeah. such yeah. a good movie um you might recognize him as i think 
Big Q or Q-Tip, the really dumb white rapper from Phone Booth that Colin Farrell is representing. I would remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I would remember that. He's in 310 to Yuma. Like, he, he definitely lends well to Westerns, don't get me wrong. But every time I see him in anything, I'm always impressed with him. The movie's directed by David Slade, who I think people remember know most. know good television everywhere. <laughs> Basically, right? He sort of burst onto the scene, I guess, um, with Hard Candy. That's his first movie. I don't remember that movie being too stylish, but there are some really cool scenes where uh, I think Patrick Wilson is drugged and we're sort of like in his POV, which looks good. I think more impressive than anything with that movie is probably the script and just how the story unfolds. Mm -hmm. But uh, did you see what he did immediately after this movie? In mm -hmm. fact, he only has three film credits under his belt right now. It is, uh, it's Hard Candy, 30 Days of Night, and Twilight Eclipse, the third film in that, in that franchise. How many films are in that franchise? Four, oh. right? Three books and four movies. Was it only three books? Yeah. I think it was more than that. No, I think it's three books. And then they split the fourth one into two films like they did with um, yeah. all of those modern money-making movies. Yeah. But more recently, yeah, you'd know him from American Gods, Hannibal. He did uh, Breaking Bad. He did, yeah, he did some Breaking Bad. He did the first three episodes of American Gods. And uh, also um, an episode in the new season of Black Mirror. Oh, that's exciting. Which I'm really looking forward to watching. Yeah, that'll be out tomorrow. It's out right now. In the past. In the past. <laughs> you guys have probably already binged it, so let us know your thoughts. So I guess we should talk about what happens in this movie. You can kind of gather from the title, which is amazing. Yeah, I can't get over it. Oh, I love a good title. And 30 Days of Night, and you, your cover is vampires, and you're just like, fucking cool. And I gotta say, both of these movies have great title cards. Yes. Yeah. Great well title cards and great poster imagery. Very simple, clean, like, two colors, and you're just like, what the fuck is that? Oh, yeah. Need to watch it. Successful. Very Love good. <laughs> I never grow tired of seeing vampires just terrorize an entire town, especially right at the beginning where they're still staying in the shadows and they're just yanking people into darkness. Fuck. I have to say, this film does go from zero to 12, like, <laughs> really fast. It's, so it starts, things are kind of getting weird, they're getting cut off even more so than they normally would be from society, and then night happens, and... These vampires just start fucking killing people. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily get to see everything because it's happening so quickly. You see a couple deaths in some of the individual homes. And then all of a sudden, the people that have survived have reconvened at this cafe. And you're learning through what the characters are saying who has made it and who has not. Mm -hmm. And then we do this panning shot of the entire village. And John, I know you want to talk about it because it's your favorite scene ever. So great. Just complete chaos, right? Like, oh, I love those overhead shots where we're just tracking through. And so much is happening. Like, you could pay attention to anything. There's it's like deleted scenes in the movie are just happening everywhere in that shot. Yeah, the entire village is chaos and these vampires are eating people and there's dead everywhere and there's trails of blood in the snow and mm -hmm. there's, there's just chaos throughout the entire town. I think it's probably the shot that is the most stylized in the film. Maybe not the most stylized, but I think it's the most successful with how it is styled. And I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> it is a really badass moment. It comes very early in the film. That happens night one, I think. Yeah, and that's something I want to get at. Now, if you are, if you've got like a Super Bowl event or you're just going to an all-you-can-eat buffet, I mean, like, there's something that you know you're saving for last. Like, you would draw it out a little longer, right? Like, you've got 30 days to eat all these people. Why are you going to do it all in the first 20 minutes? Yeah, they should really be rationing because they do have a limited number of people. I think there are only 152 people, and they have 30 days, and there's quite a, there's quite a few vampires. There's probably at least 
I'd say at least a 30 dozen, right? vampires. Yeah. Well, in that overhead shot, it feels oh, like yeah. there's a ton of vampires. It's in the close-ups. There's it, you think there's only like seven, but there's quite a few vampires. They should be having like let's have one human a night. Yeah, they should be rationing. Yeah. I guess that's the reason they've come there, right? It's because they're constantly rationing, and they're sick of it, and they want to just have a smorgasbord. Mm. So they're like, we're going to go here, we're going to have a big feast, and then we're going to figure the fuck out where we're going to go next. Yeah, we're going to have big, full bellies, going to stay nice and warm, maybe do our hair with some blood, which is a really cool scene in that movie. In the graphic novel, apparently, there's no head vampire at first. It's a, a group of rogue vampires that hear about this town, or they just decide, hey, this would be a good fucking idea, and they show up and massacre everybody. When the head vampire hears what they've done, he shows up to put an end to it, because he doesn't want the myth... He doesn't want people to realize that vampires are real. Like the head vampire says in the movie, we've it's taken us centuries to convince them that we're make-believe. Let's not give them reason to suspect that we're actually real after all. I like that because it gives some kind of explanation to why we are hearing the vampire's ideology through these, like, the whole smarmy one-liners. Uh. Which... Don't get me wrong, they're fucking badass, and they're really cool to hear these vampires saying these really ominous things in their own weird vampire language. I think they work better but on the why? page. How much English do they know? Why do they care? If humans are so below them, why are they whispering them sweet, terrifying nothings right before they die? You know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, what's God? There is no God. And you're like, that's really scary, but why would you say that? Why do you care? That one's brilliant, because he actually says it in English to her. When he looks up, and you're just, whoa. But it's really fucking cool. I get it. It looks really cool. But then, when you're thinking about it, you're like, yeah, if it's such an inferior species... Why? Yeah, why would you You don't care? need to talk to them. They'd be like bugs, you know, yeah. you just squish them. Squish. Yeah. <laughs> There's the, a lot of maniacal monologue. <laughs> there really is. The structure of the, the whole middle chunk of the movie is humans try to do something, vampires stop them, vampire has a clever moment, back to point one. Yeah, vampire has a clever moment, cool kill, back to the main plot. And we're going to go here, we're going to go here, and then we're going to go here, yep. and then we're going to go here. As great as those pieces of dialogue are, though... I think it, they feel like they're just plucked from the graphic novel. Like, oh, no, we can't not use this. It's mm-hmm. great. But I, it's usually na- probably narration would be my guess. Well, it could be the rogue vampire's ideology or the rogue clan's ideology is all that stuff that the head vampire was saying. Mm-hmm. And the head vampire is trying to reason with them into keeping oh. secrecy of vampirism. And they're going to ruin everything by massacring this whole town. Which makes sense. Because then you have a back and forth between the ideology doesn't quite match up among the vampires. That'd be cool. So you have this one, I guess, head of the um, the baddies who's like, no, we need to teach them, I don't know. Why... To fear us yeah. yeah. But I mean, there, there's also just like wry observations about humanity, right? Like, when a man comes across something he can't destroy... He, he destroys, destroys himself. himself. Right, okay. I mean, these are great. Bro, but they all you seem... were a man once, I'm pretty sure, so <laughs> let's not think so haughty of ourselves. It sounds like this guy, like, became a vampire right around the time where, as a human, he started reading Nietzsche, and that's that's, that's <laughs> all stopped. that's stuck. Yeah. <laughs> now that my, my pupils are black, I cannot read anymore. <laughs> I myself am beyond good and evil. <laughs> I am the abyss that looks back. I could go on for a while. This film, though, is filled with so many cool fucking moments. Like, as much as I want to shit on how, how like, kind of lame his diatribes are, that moment when he puts his fucking creepy-ass fingernail on the oh, record, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're like, 
this doesn't make any sense, but it's fucking cool. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. I love every minute of it. Visually, it's incredible. And yeah, like I like talking about how none of it makes sense, but every time I watch it, I'm just like fist pumping the air. Like, it's great. The script was rewritten by one of the writers of Pirates of the Caribbean. That makes sense to me. To bring it back down to reality a little bit, because the original script was a very faithful adaptation to the graphic novel, which is apparently very over the top. Which is probably where the movie falls flat a little bit at the end. Like the fact that he injects vampire blood into himself to become super strong, oh. to have a big showdown. You're where like, he can, okay, Hulk. <laughs> right? And he just like punches right through the vampire's skull. See, again, Hashtag it's... skull punch. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's really cool to watch that <laughs> right? final scene where they're fighting, but you're just in your head, you're like, why was this a good idea? Eh. Well, like, what? So there's five survivors left. There's still a few days to go, I would assume. He's got to save And her. then he's like, I'm going to just inject myself with the blood. And then it's like, you're our only police officer. You're the only one trained with weaponry. I know, and sundown is like an hour away. Uh, but Kim, did you not hear Josh Hartnett say, at least several times that you do anything for your family, you protect them. They lay a lot of groundwork for that scene where he finds Billy, who's killed his wife and kids. And it's a great oh, scene. Oh, like, you never kill your family. Yeah, yeah. Like, he already did. You never hurt them. That's your job. I, I, honestly, it's a great scene. His performance there falls flat. <laughs> but I, I still remain that on paper, fucking great. No, right? when you find out that guy has mercy killed his whole family and then the gun jammed and he couldn't kill himself those are the moments that you look for in movies like this yeah that's fucking dark holy shit game changer and, and then he... josh hart is like don't kill your family <laughs> <laughs> and or, or even just the engineer who you find out later the, the family that never wants to come up to alaska is actually already dead like these these are things that would have been great in a miniseries where we had time to expand those characters and learn about them and this would really be dark and depressing to watch Great revelations, but you've got a limited amount of time with a movie, right? And that's why I'm under the impression that this film only exists when we're watching it. And there's not a lot of not a lot going on outside of it because we see grandma for a couple minutes we know that grandma smokes pot because she has cancer and that she's got uv lights in her house brilliant and it's delivered like in three sentences and then we cut away from that conversation so you're like okay this is gonna come up this yeah. is gonna come up there's um that whatever facility where we cut on the the blades spinning in the very beginning yeah. of the film. we're like somebody's going in that yeah, yeah and then yeah. it does and then we use the lights and so it's just it doesn't leave itself a lot of room to explore anything that doesn't necessarily have to be in play later. Mm -hmm. So that's why Josh Hartnett feels like he's not a real person and stuff because they don't, there's not time for exploratory scenes to just live in the universe and have it not be like, this is going to come back later and this is going to come back later. Even the beginning where the guys are standing at the sunrise and they're like, yeah. this is the last sundown 30 days and we all bring our dates here. Yeah, we all take our first dates here. Yeah. Yeah, and then he has his last date there. It's great. Super poetic. Yeah, it's awesome. The only thing about his death, though, like, okay, so the sun turns you to ash, but you do not burn? That had to be a rule that they created right at the beginning just so she could hug him while he was dying, right? I'm sure he disintegrates. We just cut Well, he does it. disintegrate, but not into fire is what I'm saying. Oh. I mean, you just turn to ash. You don't engulf in flames. I, I like the engulf in flames. Like, I'm a... I'm cool with the ash. I'm a, I'm a fan of flames. It's got this, like, Greek mythology Medusa kind of thing about it. Like, they that look like cool. stone. Yeah. But I they're just that. ashes. Looked painful. It did look painful. Uh, but they did kind of put the nail in the coffin on a sequel on that one. They could have had <laughs> you say that, their but there forbidden are like four Romeo other and Juliet romance. Yeah, but not real ones. Did you know that one of them was put out by Fearnet? 
No. Do you remember FearNet? No. You don't remember that website? Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no. I just didn't want to talk about it. The, none of the sequels are official sequels, though, John, because none, nobody has seen them. I uh, know. I'm one. talking about, like, theatrical sequels where, like, Josh Arnett reprises his role as <laughs> Eben, the, the crusty cop from Alaska. <laughs> Apparently he's an Inuit in the graphic novel as well. And I, would, I said that when you were watching the movie. I'm like, how come there are no Aboriginal people in this movie? You know, people indigenous to this region. You yeah. think that they would be pretty wise to you know winterizing for a month or so because they've done it through their set like through their generations yeah and nobody there's not even a wise you know like cafe woman who's always there and like oh like my grandmother always used to tell these crazy stories we would never leave on the last airplane we live here you know what i mean like none of that this movie does uh, and this is my last point really uh it does contain one of my favorite deaths of all time which is so silly, because... We already talked about the punch through the skull, John. Well, no, that's, that's brilliant. But where Billy is killed, where Josh Hartnett kills Billy with the axe, right as he's turning, because we revealed that he was bitten by the vampire, he's lost his goddamn hand in that grinder trying to save Josh Hartnett's life, and then he starts to become... He starts to turn right away, and Josh Hartnett cuts his head off with, like, three rusty chops, and it looks so good. Yeah, that is a really good kill. And I think it's because it's jarring because you stay there. Yeah. You stay on him. And you don't visually know he's changed, so you're still kind of upset about it. He's still killing somebody. Oh, good point. Yeah, you just hear he does, his voice. Yeah, his laugh changes or whatever, so he sounds a little bit more evil. But you haven't confirmed it with your eyes yet, mm-hmm. and he's already killing him. And you're like, you're really quick with that that axe. Maybe he wasn't gonna. <laughs> Maybe everything was fine. You're not supposed to hurt the people you love, Josh. But the funny thing is I didn't get that feeling when the little brother is forced to kill that little vampire in the, the convenience store. Because was like, he's so shell-shocked by it. And they're like, you did, what, you did good. You did what you had to do. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, he did. Yeah, totally. Good. You, yeah. you killed him. <laughs> there's, there's a great moment in the Walking Dead comics where one of the kids kills... He's like four, year, four or five years old. Kills his brother. And he's like, don't worry. It's fine. He'll come back. Because he's too young to understand the concept of oh, anything. Oh, fuck. Yeah, it's nuts. And then the, the entire group has to decide, like, what are we going to do with this kid? Like, he doesn't understand that killing is bad. Like, we, 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 we've got to kill him. They're like, we can't do that. He's a child. In amongst all this debate, Carl, who himself, only maybe like seven or eight at the time, crawls into the car and shoots this kid in the head. Because he knew he, nobody else was willing to do it. And they'd forgive him because he was young enough. It's so goddamn dark. I'm telling you, you gotta read the books. That's so sad. The books are really, really good. There is a, there is a I moment. I don't like the drawings. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I get past the drawings too because for me, it's all about the story. There is a father. It's a graphic novel. It's all about the art, John. Not for me. <laughs> I like the art is one of the things that I'm least concerned with in uh, in in comic books. Unfortunately, I know you for would some pay people, a lot that's... less money for paper if you just bought a text version. Oh, if there were audiobooks of graphic novels, that'd be fucking great. Then it would be described. Just described audio? Yeah. Don't you think? It'd be like, the picture depicts somebody shooting somebody in the face. Uh, In this panel, we see a father who has killed his daughter's murderer and is waiting around for him to return as a zombie so he can kill him a second time. Flip the page. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, ratings. I'm going to go with a two out of four. It's not a great film story-wise. It's a fucking amazing concept, though, and it looks badass. So there's your one, two points right there. Yeah, I I was leaning more towards a a two out of four as well. Uh, But I really enjoyed the movie. It's a hell of a lot of fun. And it's got a Wilhelm scream, which for me, 0.5 bump. I'm giving this a 2.5. 
so funny because you are the one that never wants to watch this movie, and I'm the one that always wants to put it on. Yeah. You're like, I don't want to watch that movie. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Well, next time you don't want to watch it, we're just going to play this episode. But I'm not <laughs> going to want to watch it, and you are. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. <laughs> that works. All right. Next up, 28 Days Later. So who are you? I wake up today in hospital. I wake up and I'm, I'm hallucinating. I've got some bad news. They're infected. Infected. What? Infected with what? Oh, I shouldn't have done that. The blood. There's something in the blood. So 28 Days Later is currently sitting at a 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb, and it has an 87% fresh rate on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, directed by Danny Boyle, this movie came out in 2002? 2002. 2002. 2002. Considered one of the first big digital films. They recorded a lot of this movie on camcorders. Before this... The... I think it meant, like, special effects-wise, and I was like, I believe it, I sell it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, just a lot of handheld cameras. They were trying to do a really restricted budget. The smaller the camera, the easier it is to move around. And there were some scenes in here that needed to be done, like, super goddamn They fast. were able to obtain quite a lot of amazing cityscape shots. Mm -hmm. And, like, shots with their lead character or with the main vehicle they were using in these really expansive... I, I want to say sets, but they're not sets. In these in these expan expansive areas of England that would normally be quite busy. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they, they're completely desolate. I think the majority of the... Um... The budget on this movie was probably just acquiring permits to shoot in those locations and to close them off because they, they shoot in like Piccadilly Circus, the other downtown areas, other of, areas London. Yeah. of London. Like I just realized <laughs> that I don't know the fuck I'm talking about. Uh, One of London those Bridge. Palaces. London Bridge. Yep, yep. Perhaps a bridge or two. Do you remember that scene where he's walking down an empty street and there is a double-decker bus just turned over? Mm -hmm. They. Brought that bus in, laid it down, shot the scene, removed the bus in less than 20 minutes. 
Wow. They were just going at like a frenzied pace because they they didn't need to shoot much. They didn't have a very large budget. So in a lot of cases, they were closing down these really popular tourist destinations for 45 minutes at a time at dawn. See, I told you they were all shot at dawn. Well, yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> the easiest way to do it, right? Um, and there's, yeah, there's nobody around. It's it's the only way they were able to accomplish it. And those shots are really goddamn effective, too. They're what really makes this movie feel raw and real. Mm -hmm. And I think the digital camera kind of handheld movement of it also lends to it. Yeah. You feel like you're walking through these areas as well. Mm -hmm. And we really kind of get that just right up front. Just to sort of set the world that exists inside this movie, right? Well, and that's what makes it so jarring, too, because you see the initial kind of outbreak occur, and then the, the amazing title card of 28 Days Later, dot, dot, dot. Right. And to see society has just disappeared, has evaporated. Humanity has been wiped from its own cities. Yeah, what can you accomplish in 28 Days? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, it's the fucking zombies. Thanks, just... John, for bringing us all down in the beginning of January. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's got their crisp New Year's resolutions, and you're like, what the fuck have you done this month? And you're like, I uh, ate a cheese tray. <laughs> <laughs> New Year's resolutions are bullshit anyway, guys. One, don't make them because you're probably not going to keep them, and then you're just going to feel bad that you failed again. And secondly, if it's something you want to do, don't wait around. Just start. Go for it. It's the new year. You can't tell people to just don't wait around and start. People are starting with their New Year's resolutions. Okay, fine. You want a little more positive spin? You're going to get a great deal on a gym membership. Just please make sure you fucking go. Otherwise, it's a waste <laughs> of money. That's true. That's the only business model in the world where they don't want you to use their product. It's so crazy. Like, buy a membership, never come. We make money. Like, that's, <laughs> that's how it works. Yeah. Same as, I guess, phone companies. Yeah. And the cable companies. Really any subscription service now at all. That's started with gyms and it's expanded out to your television. Fuck us. <laughs> We're the real zombies now. Binge watching shit at home. The opening of this movie is kind of wild. And you're right. Like From we... the full frontal nudity? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sorry, what did you mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant like the activists breaking in and trying to release the bamboos. Mm. Bamboos? Trying to... <laughs> Baboons. <laughs> Baboons. Bamboos. Yeah. <laughs> We're taking all this indigenous wood and we're bringing it back home. You can't be making tables out of it. It belongs in the earth. No bamboo jokes, John. Okay. They will never be funny. And yet I try every week. Yeah, the opening of this movie where the activists are breaking in to release the... Uh, I keep wanting to say release the hounds. Where, they keep, where they're, they're breaking in to release the bamboos. <laughs> When the, the activists are breaking in, they're trying to free the gorillas and the baboons that are there. Um, I kind of love it, because one way you could say, like, okay, yeah, I understand what you're trying to accomplish here. You're just trying to, you know, these animals that are essentially confined and more or less tortured. You want to help them out and bring them back to the wild. But you kind of just seem like well-intentioned terrorists most of the time. And especially the fact that they're wearing, like, head-to-toe black. Like, they look like they're there to blow the place up. Okay. And, you know, surprise, surprise, the good guys are the ones that plunge us into fucking darkness. I don't know if you noticed, but one of the baboons was sort of strapped to a chair watching a news feed, which was just violence. Mm. Because it was quelling his rage. It was keeping him at bay. They are trying to find a cure for it, and by having him sort of in front of monitors, it's like he's experiencing the violence himself. Now, I mean, you could maybe extrapolate that into what people constantly say about violence on television. But let's not. 
Yeah, I've never given much thought to the intro of the film. Okay, I'm I... going to talk to you about an alternate ending for the movie that totally that totally bookmarks the whole story with that opening. Are you going to do it now? I was going to do it later. Uh, we'll get to that alternate ending uh, as we go. Our main character, yeah, wakes up completely naked. Brave choice, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> also, what the fuck were they doing? Like, he got, in, he got into a car accident. He got hit by a car. Clearly, he was in surgery. How often do they put you back in your bed just naked and walk away? Well, you're probably wearing, like, a front gown thing, but... The zombies came in and took the front gown? I don't know. Maybe there was a commotion and somebody wanted to look at his wiener or something. <laughs> <laughs> so you think, like, an orderly on his way at the building was like, you know what? Wait a minute, I'm going to go check it on number two. What if the orderly working in that hospital is the same orderly that's in Kill Bill? Like, what if he is just constantly pimping out people in comas, including this guy? Like, I'm not familiar enough with Kill Bill to get that reference, but hopefully one of the listeners is. Okay, my <laughs> mistake. His name's Buck. He's li- He likes to fuck. Uh, he also drives the pussy wagon. Oh, good. Yeah. No, no, he's, he's not a great character. I don't think you walk away thinking, like, you know what? Fan favorite, Buck. <laughs> nice guy. So Jim, uh, after collecting a grocery bag of Pepsi Colas... Smart idea. Y- yeah. He whaps a, a priest with it. I guess that's true. He does defend himself. That fucking scene. Like, the first time that he comes across anybody, living or dead, is inside that church. And it looks like you know, the Jonestown Massacre. Like, it looks like they've all just committed suicide. Mm-hmm. My biggest issue watching this film now is I saw it when it came out, and I loved it, and I fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. Now watching it, there's so much that has used or is similar to, like, I don't want to necessarily say that 28 Days Later it originated here because a lot of horror films use that waking up in the hospital, don't know what's going on, apocalypse thing has kind of happened. A lot of cult-type mass deaths have been used before. You know what I mean? So a lot of these things feel tired now, Mm. but I don't want to discredit the film for being tired because it used those things because I know that... At the time. When I first watched it, I didn't feel that way. I think because it did those things so well, they've stayed in popular culture. Like, I know The Walking Dead starts that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With your protagonist waking up in the hospital, and then everything's kind of already commenced, and you're at stage three, and you're kind of discovering what's occurred. I I think it's good for storytelling anyway, because... Or it explains away your exposition. Like, you need somebody to to tell the audience what happened, how it happened... Well, it adds an air of mystery because you're discovering with your lead what's going yeah. on, and it's shocking. And if you only have a very tight budget and you can't shoot an entire zombie apocalypse, then that's that's exactly what you need. And honestly, in some of the scenes where he runs into some survivalists that are sort of running around, they, they take him with them, rescuing him from that priest. One of the guys is talking about going to the airport with his dad, trying to buy tickets, and how... The ground is squishy, and he looks down, and he's just standing on top of people, and it's just mass hysteria. People are being trampled. He's basically climbing up on top of a sea of people to save himself from the the zombies that are coming and eating everybody. Those scenes play out better as, like, these dark Dark conversations. Yeah, around, like, a small fire huddled in the middle of nowhere trying to stay safe. Then it probably would have with if like, they a had it cut to a flashback where that's actually happening. I think you visually see more in your head, yeah, envisioning what that guy's had to go through and seeing his shell shocked face mm. tell kind of his own backstory than if we cut to Train to Busan. <laughs> right. For me, watching this movie now, I'm surprised how popular it was at the time, just for how India looks, and maybe that's because. I don't know, we got like 4K now, and found footage movies now are all shot in 1080p. 
But back then, it would have been so surprising to see a movie that looked like this. It is kind of crappy quality. Yeah. And it bothered me a little bit now, but I don't think it did then. Oh, it definitely didn't for me, yeah, at, at the time. I, I don't even remember thinking anything of it. It just looked... It drew me in. The like, weird thing is, like, British television, British content <sighs> has kind of its own look to it. Same as Canadian. Like, you're like, this is a Canadian TV show. You can just tell. Yeah. This looks like a found footage British film. Like, it's got the found footage filter, and then it also has, like, the smoggy British filter. <laughs> I know, right? It's weird. It's like there's just Vaseline on the lens. <laughs> Maybe they just don't put as much money into posts. Like, I have no idea why they look like that. And it's a little bit flatter than American stuff. Like, American video is very high contrast, lots of depth, and... British stuff is, yeah, it's like gray and it's all foreground. <laughs> what if it's what if it's even simpler than that? What if it's just that they shoot a lot of stuff on location because it's cheaper? And I know like in Canada, it's pretty easy to shoot on location versus having a so just the weather? Studio. Exactly. Like Britain is just humid all year. Like it's just rain constantly. Like gray. Gray as fuck, yeah. Yeah. C- Canadian content's really clear though. It's like stupid clear. It's just an image we're trying to propagate. No dust. <laughs> no dust. <laughs> we're no the cleanest goddamn Canada. country. <laughs> no dust. We send it all south. <laughs> it's our biggest export. Dust. We got uh, the trucks of dust here, sorry. <laughs> Why does that never get old? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so Jim and Jim and friends run into, like, he makes them go to his parents' house. This is a dark so point sad. in the movie, right? Oh, man. I his, wrote it down. Yeah, his parents have killed themselves, and... With endless love, we left you sleeping. Don't wake up. Right. Holy shit. So you come out of a coma, the entire world is gone, your parents have killed themselves, and the only note they left you was, don't wake up. Good God. It's great writing. So fucking dark. Yeah. Speaking of writing, do you know who wrote this movie? Who wrote this movie? Uh, shit. His name just went out of my head. It's written by Alex Garland, which did not mean much to me at the time, but follow me here. He wrote The Beach, the novel, which Danny Boyle then adapted. So he was talking to Danny Boyle and his producer about 28 days later. Essentially, he said, I have a zombie movie where they run. It was kind of how he sold it. dope. (laughs) We've never done that. Dope. I also heard they're working on a movie where vampires are in the fucking Arctic, bro. This is going to be a great year. He also um, wrote and directed Ex Machina and the new one that's coming out. Um, Ex Machina again. Yeah, what's that Machina one? more. What's that one called with Jennifer Jason Lee where they like go into like this ethereal world where like her husband never came back from or something? Oh, is it Annihilation or something? I, something like that, yeah. Natalie Portman's in it too, right? I think so. Yeah. We just saw Trevor Fourth the other day. I thought it was about alligators. And then it I watched really the looks trailer, like alligators. and I was like, this isn't alligators, this is sci-fi. <laughs> the poster is them holding up a gigantic, like, uh, alligator I thought it was an all-girl, like, Lake Placid. Like, there was a giant alligator, and this team of cool girls had to go kill it. And I was like, that It kind of looks like a cross between an all-girl... We need girl... a cool girl alligator movie, I'm just saying. Okay, well, maybe it's like a cool girl cross between Lake Placid and Arrival. Like, trying to figure out this weird dimension and... I'm down. I wanted alligators. You wanted alligators. (laughs) Well, sorry, lady G. Or like Angry Avatar is what it's going to be. All girl Angry Avatar. Avatar. 
you know, some zombie attacks. The, the, here's my problem with zombie movies, right? So we've got a great story and the characters are doing stuff, but it's always just like, oh, it's been five minutes, the zombies are in the house now. Like, yeah, at, at every that's turn. the hardest part, too, because you're like, wow, we haven't seen a zombie in a while, so oh. I wonder <laughs> I wonder who's going to die next. And then somebody dies, and then you're sad about it, and then you then there's still more zombies. And everybody's like, did you get any blood in your mouth? Did you get any blood in your mouth anywhere on your face? Because I'll kill you if you don't. Why are you hacking people to bits if you can't get the blood in your mouth? That's what I'm saying, right? Everybody gets blood near their face in this film. You should be wearing either a hazmat... I wouldn't recommend a hazmat suit because I'm sure your peripheral vision sucks. But... Uh, face masks, At least face a plastic shield. screen or for your mouth hole yeah, or something. Like everybody's taking canned food from the grocery store. Just go over to the hardware department and get a face shield. So that way you, you're protected. Yeah, like a hockey mask and then just like break oh the mouth hole. Oh my god, can you imagine you're running around a zombie apocalypse wearing a hockey mask? <laughs> I bet it's a popular choice. I bet a lot of people would have it. And goalie sticks for distance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need that long weapon. Oh man, you could like sharpen that hockey stick into like a fucking blade. I think that's in The Running Man. I don't have any sense of, like, natural self-preservation, so I don't really strategize when it comes. People are like, what would you do if zombies happen? I'm Kill like, myself. I don't know. Go get some chips before they're gone from the store, and oh, I guess sit mistake. tight. <laughs> sit tight, I guess. Yeah, I, I am not optimistic about that scenario. I just assumed that I'm like, oh, the world's dead, and now what I have to do is just t- never get sleep always fight every hour that passes i'll just kill myself i'd be a badass zombie though with green hair i bet you i could make the the cover of national geographic when society starts again oh that'd be good it would probably be zombie me i'm just saying i'd be one of those green-haired zombie if if your eyes could match your personality well i mean i had like white eye holes with like a cool green ring oh dope that'd be all right like mood eyes unless they're just like red eyes and you're like a running zombie i guess that's whatever i guess that's cool yeah do you have an opinion on running versus walking zombies? I think these zombies are fucking badass. Yeah. My favorite thing about these zombies, which is really fucking cool, is they have this... I haven't been able to figure out... You you don't get a chance to kind of figure out. They still retain some kind of thought. They have to. Mm, you're right. Because they chase you. And the, the biggest scene that I wanted to talk about is after they fix the tire in the bridge when they pull the flat they try to fix the tire yeah. and the zombies are running after them as soon as they are able to pull away the zombies don't keep running it's like they know they can't get them which is crazy because you think of the type of the amount of forethought that would have to go into that what they would have to recognize they would have to recognize that their opportunity window has closed that the speed at which they run will not match the speed of a moving vehicle. So the zombies are aware of physics. But... Well, and they also have to understand that the, the tire, another tire could bust. They could just keep running after them forever. That is but true. maybe they get tired. Maybe they know that they get tired. Yeah. So much thought would have to run through their heads in that moment to see them kind of, their running doesn't just halt. Like, they don't just freeze and go back into, like, this weird resting state that the zombies go in. They, the running slows to a trot, which slows to them just staying standing there defeated. Which I think brings me back to my point, that they are not zombies. They, they are fucking zombies. are infected. And here's the other thing. What an infection is all about is spreading. Like, one of the big things that these zombies do is vomit blood. I mean, like, you see that in other movies, too, but the idea is that it gets 
on you and in you, and now you are infected. They mm-hmm. don't actually have to bite you. The The whole idea is to just spread the infection. That's why Ebola is so vicious. That's why HIV is so deadly. Like, it's all about transmission. Like, yeah. It's a living organism that wants to spread. And what I also kind of love about these zombies is they don't become superhumans that have these, like, special abilities that the human body didn't have beforehand. Oh, like they can't jump really high. Well, when I was thinking about sense of smell, they don't have the smell of a akin to a yeah. dog. Yeah, there's that scene where the, the younger girl is holding on to that mirror oh in the God, bedroom. Oh my God, that scene is so good. And the zombie comes right up to her, but it's because he's recognized himself in the mirror mm-hmm. and he's looking at himself and trying to understand what that is. Yeah. But he doesn't smell her. Yeah. Because... I can't smell when somebody's in the room unless they're wearing, like, a shit ton of perfume. I can't... I don't know what another human smells like. I mean, unless they smell bad. Yeah, we're not all Hannibal Lecter here. I mean, maybe people would smell bad enough that you would be able to smell them in post-apocalyptic. But you know what I mean? At the resting state, you can't smell another human being. This has been Smellcast. <laughs> Presented... The Smell Report with John and Kim. Yeah, people don't have enough of a natural smell. We're ta- we're talking generally cleaned. We've used an unscented Dove bar. Yeah, you can't just walk down and like an aisle blindfolded and go celery, apple. Yeah, fifteen-year-old like, girl, thirty-three-year-old <laughs> man. You, uh, you can't do that. But zombies can, and these people infected, uh, not zombies. I understand what you're getting at. No, it I'm just talking sense. about <laughs> types of zombies. I'm, I appreciate that they're not superhuman. I agree, too. Um, I do remember thinking that this was an incredible film when it came out because I don't think I'd ever seen zombies running so goddamn fast. That scene specifically where we run into Brennan Gleeson and his daughter uh, and they're trying to get up the staircase is so good. Like, it's so filled with tension and just, like, he is so absolutely scared because he can't go on. He's exhausted. He's not used to having no sleep and running nonstop and basically living off Twinkies and Coca-Cola. And when these zombies start coming, he just starts screaming, please wait for me, don't leave me behind. It's it's a great moment. Yeah. And I kind of always appreciate when I see our main character reduced to being like a fucking infant in situations like this because it's believable. It's like in 1984 when he just breaks down when they're torturing him and he says, do it to her, like the one person that he actually loves. So dark, so twisted, and just so fitting for what that character's going through. And they use it really well in that love moment when she says that she wouldn't hesitate a heartbeat to kill him, and then when she kind of has to kill him, because that scene is great too, because he comes in and ravages this guy that was going to gang rape her, and because it's so dark in there, she's not sure if he's turned yet because he went so ham on this guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's nothing but rage at that point. He tears him apart with his bare hands. But almost. it was because he liked her. And she waited a whole second to kill him. A because she liked and him. <laughs> and it was so romantic. So, Brendan Gleeson, when they... He, Brendan Gleeson is leading them from the apartment to this checkpoint where there's a military signal. Where they, yeah, they out. heard a radio signal... But it's automated, so they don't quite know what they're going to find if yep. if this military base is going to be destroyed or what. But staying there in the apartment is a ticking time bomb. Because it hasn't rained and they're out of water. <laughs> it hasn't rained they're out of water. There's no more goddamn scotch in the apartment. We're down to the creme de menthe. And zombies Ugh. can climb stairs quick. Yeah, that's what they've learned. <laughs> So they head out to the military checkpoint, they find out where the signal is, and there's nobody to be found. In fact, in the distance, there's nothing but fucking fire. So, you know, not exactly like they're heading into a welcoming... They're heading into a welcome party. Mm-hmm. Tragically, though, Brennan Gleeson uh, gets a blood drop in his eye and becomes infected. 
And, oh, that scene is so sad. It is sad. Because, like, he, like, a moment ago was frustrated. He was mad that there was nobody there to greet them, that this signal was more or less bullshit. Everything that he had been hoping for is now crushed. And, uh, yeah, he, he loses his patience and he yells at his daughter, basically. And then when he, he knows he's infected and he knows he's about to die in turn and he, he gets his, her attention and calmly says, I'm, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to raise my voice with you a moment ago. I love you very much. And then when she kind of senses that something's wrong, he just pushes her away, right? Like, get away from me! Like, ah! Oh, it's great. Brendan Gleeson is such a good actor. The fact that the infection turns them so quickly, too, is kind of fucking scary. Like, yeah. you need to... In your group to stay alive, you need to recognize immediately when somebody has been bitten or mm -hmm. gotten blood in their mouth or their eyeball. Yep. And you have to murder them immediately. There's no goodbyes. There's no processing. She like when she has to hack her companion to bits in in Jim's apartment or Jim's parents' flat. It's so fast, and she is hacking it. Oh him. yeah, you got to remove all thought. You that was your bro a minute ago. That's what's brilliant about this, right? <laughs> the fact that it happens so quickly means that you, in your decision making, need to remove all humanity. And that is what everybody's biggest fear is, more or less, in zombie movies. Yeah, there's death and all, but there's we're not humans anymore. Well, there's no point to be alive. Right. And that's kind of what our female lead has to learn because she is just in mission mode and she's just survival. But mm -hmm. then she meets a dad and his daughter and sees that there's still love in the world. Mm -hmm. There's still at least these two people that exist and exist for each other. Yeah, like the, the world that they wish was still around won't exist if they completely leave it behind. Well, also when she falls in love with him. <laughs> gotta believe in love guys that's all it is yeah unfortunately like this military group that shows up like eight seconds too fucking late is only there to uh rape women that's what they've decided in 28 days later the zombies have taken over the world and uh, a group of military guys decide fuck this well you don't know them at, that at first so they take them back to their kind of compound that they've set up they wine and, and dine them it's a bunch it's like one head guy and then a bunch of young guys so there's about i would say 20 young men who are all armed in military training they've set up uh, a cool perimeter they have guys with they have sharpshooters they have landmines land like yeah. they are set for a while here they're in a safe isolated compound yeah. these three people have really lucked out and then they find out that because there's no women there the military men are planning on basically gang raping yeah. the two females it's even worse than that though because we see that one of them is having, like, an existential crisis, right? Like, we don't... We shouldn't be here. We deserve to be dead. Like, we shouldn't be killing people. Like, he's losing his mind. Yeah. And the general... He's the second in command, too. I think I, he's... Yeah, he's the sergeant. Yeah. yeah. Um, the general explains to Jim that a few weeks ago he found one of his guys, probably that guy, with his gun in his mouth, getting ready to blow his brains out, and he knew that there'd be dissension in the ranks and everybody would essentially... Um, crumble fall apart mentally yeah exactly like it's it's going to be the end of them just their own depression and outlook on life so he promises them women and then they put out that beacon that beacon is not to bring people to them so well, because they, they promise them. that they have a cure they have something that's right something in the works that's going to save humanity so of course people are going to start coming there mm -hmm. and i mean when we bring jim out to the woods where uh, they're going to kill him, so that way he's not in the way when they can have their way with the girls. There are a shit ton of bodies out there. Some of them are probably zombies. You're right. I think that they're zombies. I think what you think is quite bleak. I just don't see that being true. You think because some of the women would still be around? Well, if enough people were coming to this place that they had a steady stream of visitors, 
the community would have to grow. They would have to realize that the humanity isn't over. I don't know that, though, because I don't think they absolutely trust anybody other than themselves. I don't know. It's kind of like in the book Blindness. It's only been 28 days. I don't think humanity could descend that quickly that low. That's what's so brilliant about this. 28 days later, and that's all we fucking need to just be reduced to nothing. I don't know. Yeah. I think that they're just zombies from lawn cleanup. Okay, so, like, that brings me back. Like, I love when the general's explaining to him, like, the protection that they have. He's like, you wouldn't exactly want to go uh, mowing the lawn out there, but, you know, it'll let us know when they come toward the gate. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. So Jim saves the day. Obviously, he escapes. He comes back. He murders everybody with his bare hands. Uh, but what his secret weapon in this entire endeavor is a zombie that they are keeping for research purposes. He shoots the chain. The zombie is free. He runs through the house. He kind of infects everybody. everybody. Yeah, he infects everybody. He eats anybody that he can find. But you're right. He has that moment where he looks up at Jim and he realizes what he's doing. He's basically almost like a... He doesn't look at the chain. He just knows. There's a forethought with these zombies that just I fucking love. And it's what I think separates this film from the plethora of other zombie films in the franchise that have kind of just become old hat. Yeah, they're not just wandering around stumbling into a meal. They are actively calculating in their head where to go, what to do, and how to do it effectively. So, there's several alternate endings. There was one in the copy that we rented, so we got the happy-go-lucky ending. For some reason, sat through all the credits. That's the theatrical ending, yeah. And there was another ending in which Jim, he gets shot while they're escaping the military facility, and the girls get him to a hospital, and they're trying to revive him. You see flashes of that in the theatrical ending, mm-hmm. and then we cut to him waking up in a little English cottage. And he's like, where are all the goddamn curtains? <laughs> yeah, and they've been stitching the curtains together to create a big help uh, sign for the lawn. Yeah. And... Oh, the other thing that we've completely glossed over, the fact that this isn't a worldwide thing. The guy who's having an existential crisis is convinced that they're under quarantine. That it isn't the entire world that's been reduced to chaos. It's just Britain. Because Britain itself is more or less like an island, right? Yeah, I, I think that's really cool. I don't know how much you're supposed to believe it, though. Well, we like, see a plane fly over. Like, it looks like a yeah, commercial airliner. That's true. And that's when Jim's lying in the ground just after escaping being executed, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, at the end, we see there's a coordinated effort. There are flybys that they are doing because, you know, another 28 days later, and we see that the zombies are all fucking starving. That's what my favorite thing when we when they cut to another 20, 28 yeah, days later, yeah. And you see two zombies on the bridge just like collapse from hunger no energy to do anything yeah that's the question that you have still in the movie and it's such a quiet way to answer it before you like leave the film forever because mm-hmm. it's like we're gonna let you know and plus going to into 28 weeks later you're like we know more about these zombies and we get more 28 weeks later is such a good sequel we almost did that in our sequels episode uh but yeah hostile 2 and what was the other one that we did uh, Human Centipede. Human Centipede 2. Yeah. I think those are a better pairing than, say, 28 weeks later. But that's so bleak. Like, the fact that the rest of the world is kind of A-OK, because the general's the person that says, like, yep, nope, it's in New York, it's in Bangladesh, it's in Canada. Like, it's it's the, the infection is spread everywhere. Mm-hmm. They're just going off of him, but it's not it's not true whatsoever. It's just a small little area where shit's gone down. The alternate ending, though, there are several. One of the alternate endings was bringing Jim into the ER, and we are at the same time watching him 28 days prior. He's on his bike. He's a mail courier. He's a bike courier. He's riding down the street, and he gets hit by a car. We intercut the scenes where he is being revived by doctors. 
before the zombie apocalypse with uh, them fixing his wound in the empty hospital, and then he ultimately dies, which I think is is a pretty good ending. It's very bleak. The best part about that ending is the younger girl asks the older girl, what are we going to do now? And they're in these really formal dresses because they come right from almost being gang raped where these guys dress them up. I guess like harlots and they grab their weapons and they're walking down this long empty hospital hall in the silhouette of them in dresses just these two female survivors going out to do what they've been doing the whole movie and keep surviving yeah even after Jim has died and I think there's another it's either in that one or another one like rather than ending on just that hallway scene they cut back to them sewing the the curtains together and rather than her talking to Jim she's talking to a chicken uh, but it's her and the girl, and they still they still get rescued. They still spell out. Oh, it's how, just the two of them. Yeah, just without Jim. But the real alternate ending, and and this is the one that is on the DVD commentary that you can essentially watch. They never filmed it because it's essentially a second, an alternate half of the movie. Oh, it's crazy. They have st- it's all storyboarded and everything. Wow. Danny Boyle and Alex Garland will walk you through it, essentially explaining what they wanted to do and why they ultimately didn't do it. When they get to the military base, they aren't greeted by these crazy military dudes. They eventually find a facility, like a research, a military research facility where one person lives, rather than an entire group of military weirdos. And he says that there is a cure, and it's a total blood transfusion. In this alternate, Brendan Gleeson does still get infected. They've tied him up. They don't kill him because it's her dad. Mm -hmm. They're going because they want to find a cure. Maybe they can do something about it. And, you know, again, uh, and I think they even talk about it in the storyboarding. Like, and, you know, uh, they've been safe for a little while, so some zombies try and break in and they got to fight them. Uh, (laughs) And, like, they're they're even just offhand about it, too. Do for some zombies uh, about 46 minutes in. Yeah, exactly. And then, ultimately, Jim decides that he will give a total blood transfusion of himself to her dad. Dad lives... He is now a zombie, locked in a chair, surrounded by a bank of, of TV screens with the news and just violence playing so he doesn't break out of his restraints. And it's great. Like the monkeys. Like the monkeys. Like, so fucking good. But That's the problem, very Clockwork Orange ending. Very. The only thing, like, they point out, too, they're like, so, I mean, like, how the fuck would that work? Like, if a single drop of this blood can turn you into a goddamn zombie, what are they supposed to do? <laughs> you completely empty yourself Yeah, you completely empty yourself of blood, you bleach your fucking veins, and then put in the new blood? Like, how would it work? Like, if a single drop can turn you, then that's just absolute mm-hmm. nonsense. But it's, it's a cool idea. Yeah, that's a really cool idea. Would have been a great ending. And the single guy that's there does not leave us a room he tells them how to do it and he just stays in his own little bunker where he's got food he never communicates with them except through a glass window oh that's cool it's pretty good i don't even think he makes eye contact with them i think he's just got his like feet up on a desk and like you don't even see his eyes but i mean storyboards right things could have changed i've always liked that ending just for how strange it is it's it's like a movie that i would like to see but might at the end go i mean i don't think that made sense yeah let's do ratings yeah let's do ratings I'll go first. Okay. I always make you go first. Uh, I'm giving this movie a four out of four. Wow. I fucking love this movie. I love everything about it. Some of the shots that they can accomplish with such small cameras are incredible. I don't think you'd be able to do some of like the weird turning around and like up close stuff on a bed that they were able to accomplish with that. But there are even some sophisticated panning shots that I, I, I really don't know how they were do, able to do them so smoothly with such handheld cameras. Like it just looks great and it's an achievement for its time. Yeah. And there's a lot of really fun um, close up 
shots where they've definitely compiled footage into one shot where there's like a reflection on the cab and you can see the full oh cab God. and you can see the driver in the rear view where yes. there's there's so many layers of what you see what you're seeing in one single moment yeah there's there's that scene before they run into brendan gleason and his family where we're watching like the morning cityscape of london that we then pan up into them sleeping huddled in one room it's genius and in, throughout the whole shot you can kind of see one guy's face in the top corner but you don't really notice it until the camera starts to move it's uh really clever camera work in this movie so i'm gonna go with a three and a half out of four yep uh, I'm only going to dock it because it looks a little digital. I can forgive it. And I have a hard time getting over some of the stuff that's really so overused. And I don't necessarily know that that's the film's fault, but it's so hard to be an original zombie movie. The fact that I was even able to give this movie a three and a half out of four is a four out of four in zombie. <laughs> like, if we were just writing this, like, out of zombie films, this would be a four out of four. Yeah. But it, in horror overall, it's so hard to do... A successful zombie film. And zombies are so tired. I, Very. I, as much as I love this film, I don't need to revisit zombies for another 20 years. Yeah. You know it's been I mean? a long time since we've even seen this movie. Yeah, I don't think I've seen this film for like 10 years. I knew it. I, I was like, oh, I love that movie, but I don't need to watch it. Yeah. And I I don't need to watch more zombies for another long time. Yeah, I feel like one year we, we asked ourselves, like, I wonder how long we can go without seeing a zombie movie. And it's just been ongoing for a decade now. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to visit zombies again soon because we do do a horror podcast. That's true. Zombies are a pretty big... Um, There's a whole subgenre we've just kind of ignored. Yeah, and not that zombies are, are terrible. They're just tired. Mm. Just, I'm just tired of them. Agreed. And I feel like I'll probably get the same way with vampires and with werewolves and stuff. Like, you need to rotate your oh, yeah. your classic villains because... You can't play too much with the traits of, of a spooky species. Mm -hmm. That's why slashers are perfect, because the slasher could just be a crazy dude. He could have supernatural abilities. You can really tap into other subgenres with the slasher genre. I like real villains, but I'm definitely a tried and true paranormal. I like my ghosts. But we want to hear your opinion, so we're going to throw a poll up on Twitter. Tweet at us, at NOFS Podcast, and vote on that poll. Which film you liked better, 30 Days of Night or 28 Days Later? I have a pretty good feeling I know how this is going to go. I have no idea. But I'd like to be surprised. I, I actually don't really know um, a lot of people's opinions of 30 Days of Night. That's true. 28 Days Later, pretty universally accepted across the board. As being good, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, having revisited it, how do you feel about 30 Days of Night? The Josh Hartnett masterpiece. <laughs> it's a fucking cool movie. It's a really cool it movie. It doesn't hold up story-wise, but it's it's really fun to watch. Yeah. And it, yeah, you're right. It was right in that era where maybe we were getting sick of movies like Sin City, but it was borrowing from its playbook enough that it just it made it look so goddamn cool. It's like the Dick Tracy of vampire movies. <laughs> also, you need to head over to nofspodcast.com slash freddies, F-R-E-D-D-Y-S, and nominate your picks for the best out for 2017 for our first ever Freddy's Horror Awards. I'm so excited to see these nominations, guys. Can't wait to see who you pick, what you pick. And the fields are blank. So if it's a movie that nobody's heard of, but you think it deserves best foreign film, throw it in there. I can't wait to see your picks. It was a crazy year for horror. Head over and nominate your favorite films, your favorite actors, performances in the first inaugural Freddy's. But that's it from us this week. Stay, Stay creepy. creepy. It appears you made it out alive. 
just long enough to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Ow! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at NOFS Podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website, www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com. Until next week, stay creepy, fiends. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.